Let's vote. Um, go big or go home. Small things with great faith. Let's vote, all right? I'm going to give you a minute to consider. Go big or go home. Small things with great faith. All right, who's a go big or go home sort of person? I would have expected a, a louder reaction from the go big or go home contingent in the crowd. Who's, who's with the go big or go home contingent? Seriously, people. Yeah, warm up. Who's the uh, small things done with great faith contingent? You go big or go home, guys, shame. You just got outdone by the small things with great faith crowd. Uh, all right, let, let me ask a different question. Small things with great faith, big things with small faith. Small things with great faith, big things with minimal faith. All right, let's vote. Small things with great faith. Big things, small faith. And we're going to switch to decaf on the cafe table. Uh, are small things with great faith bigger than big things with small faith? Have you already thought too hard for church? It's like, ah, oh, this is twisting my head. Why, let, let, let's break it down further. Why would you do a big thing with very little faith? Why would you do some big thing that you didn't really have the faith to do, really? No, do a big thing with a little faith. You do, it, you do it for a mustard seed because you had that much faith to do it? It's, it's a first try. So, you know, there, there's, there's something to be said for going through uh, the motions, even if you're not totally believing it. Yeah? I think there are emotional reasons to do big things with little faith, too. Like, um, to do a big, grand gesture in life is often more empowering in the short term, right? I mean, if, uh, if you wake up in the morning and you think, I'm going to change the world today. I'm going to revolutionize my city. Well, that will get you out of bed, right? It's like, because it's like, wow, I can be a grand person. If you wake up in your morning and you think, I'm going to try to encourage my very rude coworker today, that doesn't get you out of bed in quite the same manner, does it? And so, you know, we, we kind of like big things, particularly if we need a little oomph uh, in our life. Uh, doing big things is exciting uh, in a way that doing small things is not. Uh, and so, you know, having grand uh, plans will often get you to do things in, in, in the short term because doing grand things has an, over, uh, an empowering drama to it, you know, at, at least for a, a while. Another reason I think I like to do uh, big things instead of little things is because I'm uh, an almost pathologically simple person. I like things to be very, very simple, and it's easier for me to focus on one big thing than ten little things. Anyone else? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just, juggling details and stuff like that is very hard for me. I'm not 
saying that every small thing is like one of those details that you juggle. It can be a small gesture, like you know, trying to encourage your coworker today or something like that. Um, but I just I like to focus, and I find a lot of strength uh, in in focus in life. And there's like focusing on something big seems a little easier than focusing on something small for for me uh, for some reason. Let me ask this question. It's sort of a sort of a converse uh, sort of question. Why would you not do a small thing with great faith? Let's say, what, what would be a small thing that you might do? Encourage, encourage a coworker, a good small thing. Um, eat a salad for lunch, that's a good small thing. Um, invite somebody to the 10th annual Christmas kickoff concert, that would be a small thing. Why would you not do that uh, with, with great faith? Why, why, why are those little things hard to follow through on? Because you don't think it'll work. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a pretty good answer. Like, <clears throat> it's it's not just that you might not think the small gesture will be successful in the moment, but it's hard to imagine little things leading to big outcomes, isn't it? It's like, well, I'll do this little thing, but is it really going to get the life-giving results that I'm looking for in in my existence? It. It actually takes more faith to do small things sometimes than it takes faith to do large things because it's difficult for us to conceive that small things will go anywhere. At least with the big grand gestures of life, we can, if nothing else, pretend for a little while that it's going to lead to other grand things, less of an imaginative leap. But the little things often take more faith uh, in the moment. Are you, are, you, are you following me? Yeah. Um, big things done with little faith, big things done with little faith will often collapse, right? Because you don't have the faith to sustain the big gesture. Small things done with great faith will probably, will probably grow is what they will do. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Small things done with great faith, while they might not produce a revolution in the moment, will probably grow grandly over time because faith is, is actually a great fertilizer for growth. And that's the last time I will ever compare faith to manure. Um, usually when I, uh, I plan uh, sermons, um, I approach them uh, in, in bunches. I say, well, what's the next series of sermons going to be about? You know, and I pray through that, and I discuss it with the other leaders, you know, and do that sort of thing. And, and we put together a package of sermons, and maybe we plan it out on the calendar. I'm not a super organized guy, but, you know, I like to, like to kind of have a chunk planned out. And, and the Lord and I have been working that way together uh, for a good while, and, and that kind of works for me. But this week, um, the Lord... Um, as I was considering the next sermon series, the Lord spoke to me just about uh, a, word, a word for the day, just, just for today. I don't like to plan sermons that way. I don't like to walk into Sunday thinking like, well, you know, I just have one sermon that the, the church needs to hear right now. Although that <clears throat> sounds good, I feel like, well, that might make me lazy, you know, just kind of cobble together something at the end. 
But this week, I feel like the Lord spoke a word for Sunday. I was just going through my day randomly on uh, Wednesday, and the Lord says, uh, tell them, Jordan, small things done with great faith. And so I just feel like that's the word of the Lord for the congregation um, this week, that maybe there are a good number of you that need to hear a very simple word, it being small things done with great faith. Small things done with great faith. That's what you need to think about getting into your life right now. And then, the Lord having said that, you know, I do what I am do. I'm a pastor, so I think about the Bible. I'm sort of legally, legally obligated to do that. And I think about all the different scriptures that have to do with small things done with, uh, with faith. And uh, when you start thinking about it, of course, there's a, there are a lot of stories, a lot of passages in the Bible uh, that have to do with that. And uh, <clears throat> as a preacher, I always like to draw on my own stories as well. I started thinking about all the small things that have made a difference in my life or the small things through which I've made a difference to other lives. And I've got... Uh, some examples of small things that I've done that have produced huge immediate results. You know, uh, I once uh, paused in my day to hug a person and stopped a suicide. Uh, I once uh, read a poem out loud that I had written and it converted a soul. Um, you know, it's like it's these little, little gestures uh, that lead to revolutionary results uh, in, in the moment. But, but what I... I really think I should talk about this morning is not that, the little things that kind of produce an explosion in the moment, but how a small thing can grow over time into something that is revolutionary and powerful, you know. Um, and when I reflect on that, it's, it's harder for me to come up with stories, not because I don't have them, but because we often lose track of how things get started in our lives. Right? There might be something big going on in our life, and it's hard for us to walk it back to that moment, to that first small gesture that started the ball rolling, you know, the little snowball at the top of the mountain that, given enough revolutions, becomes the giant avalanche uh, at the bottom. Uh, we sometimes lose track of the initial moments. Um, but, you know, I've got some of them, some I was thinking about recently for, for different reasons. Um, in, in my previous life, I was a professional academician. I was a, a policy analyst and my PhD. I worked at uh, Harvard for a couple of years, and I did a lot of stuff. And, and I gave just a huge ton of my life to that, and it took me a lot of different places. Um, and I became hugely developmental in my life, and, and I would say even in, in my ministry now, as I've moved on just to do ministry full-time. Here's where it started. I can tell you the exact moment that my academic career started. Uh, it was when <clears throat> I was um, going on nine years old, and I was, with, I was with my grandmother, and we were visiting a family, uh, Don and Carlene McCown, um, who had been uh, my babysitters when I was really tiny, and they became fast family friends. They were the, the persons that originally introduced me to Jesus and took me to church. The, the babysitters that made a difference in my life. <clears throat> we were visiting with them, uh, Nana and I, and their son, uh, a guy named John, who's several years older than I am and was sort of my Hanai brother, um, 
he uh, was a really bright kid, and he had just been accepted into what was called the Talented and Gifted Program in California schools, TAG, it was called. And so we were talking about that and the interesting classes that he got to take because he, was, he, he took an IQ test and he was accepted into the Talented and Gifted Program, and it was uh, very interesting for him. And I was listening, I was sitting at the kitchen table listening to all the adults talk about it, and in a lull in the conversation, I asked Nana, I said, am I gifted? Because I thought, well, that sounds like a good deal. I, I, I want to be gifted too. <clears throat> Nana is the one person in my life who has always been encouraging, who has never been critical of me like the whole way, right? She has been my advocate. And if you talk to her about me now, right, she'll still brag. You know, I'm 52 years old, she's 95, still doing it. But uncharacteristically, in that moment, she laughed. I said, am I gifted? And she laughed. And she said, no, honey. <laughs> you know, you're not gifted. Not in that way, right? And the fact was that I had occasionally struggled in school up to that point. Initially, I was diagnosed as dyslexic. For a long time, I couldn't figure out if I was right-handed or left-handed. I uh, used to, when I used to they were teaching me to write, write sentences, I would occasionally, through a brain glitch, write like an entire page of text in mirror image because my brain was just flopped, you know, and so I had just, you know, troubles communicating. Plus, I was just very socially withdrawn and a really awkward kid. And so I think, I think that's what she was doing. I think what she was doing is like, look, not everybody has to be stellar in the classroom to be a, a good person. You know, she was trying to be encouraging that way. And, and the McCowns, who are wonderful people in my life, my Hanai parents, they, uh, you know, they giggled as well. And this thing welled up in me in that moment. And it's like, oh, I am gifted. I am gifted. You wait. And within six months, they tested me in school. They gave me an IQ test, and I was admitted into the Talented and Gifted program in California schools. It was just, I just needed that to sit down at my desk at school, flip my brain, whatever it is, you know, and, and it was fixed. Uh, and I became uh, uh, an academic per performer. That's how it started, right there. <clears throat> we, uh, other small stories I think of um, when Sony and I were in grad school. Uh, when I was in grad school, Sony was, we were just gotten married, we were living in Chicago. We started giving some undergraduates a ride to church, a church that we went to. We had a Honda Civic, one of the old style ones. It would seat four and we would pack seven or eight in it and drive 40 minutes to the other side of the city because there were no living churches in our neighborhood in South Chicago. And, uh, and we just took one, took two, we were taking five in our Civic, then we organized carpooling and that turned into a church plant. And it started because we decided to, to ask some kids if they wanted to go to church. Uh, some undergrads and we recently I uh, went back to Chicago to celebrate the 20th anniversary of that church. It started with a Honda Civic, the back seat of a Honda Civic that was way too crowded. Um, when I was an undergraduate, uh, one Easter, I invited Sonia uh, to go eat Easter dinner with my family at, uh, at Nana's. And, uh, and now we have two teenage children. Okay, I didn't do that with great faith. It was just kind of like, hey, what are you doing for Easter? Why don't you come? And she took that as a good sign. Um, but the point 
stands, uh, that good things, small, become good things, big, over time. Provided what? Well, provided that you're willing to do the next small thing in the lineup, right? Provided that you're going to follow through, to, to, to go where it leads you. And the kingdom of God is, is, is often like that. Um, sometimes if you just do a small thing with a decent amount of faith, and what's a decent amount of faith? Sometimes if you just do a small thing with enough faith to do the thing, you know, you just decide to do it because, oh, it might well work out or because it's a thing worth doing or because it's the right thing to do. It will grow and it will produce in your life provided the soil of your life is healthy. Do you have enough faith to do a, a small Jesus thing every once in a while? Yeah? Do you, do you at least have that much faith? All right. If your answer is yes, then the follow-on question is, are you willing to go where it leads you? And there's something about those two questions working together that I think is the heart of Christian discipleship in this world. You only ever need enough faith for the next little step. Um, and I just felt like that was a word from the Lord for the congregation this morning. We'll read uh, one of the famous small thing passages in Scripture. Um, it's in your program. It'll be up on the big board. You can follow along in your personal Bibles if you want. And, you know, this is a super famous parable. You've probably already heard it from Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Um, it is the thing he talked about most in his ministry. And often when he talked about it, he talked about it using these short, riddle-like illustrations called parables. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. This was mentioned earlier. Which a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So uh, these little mini parables are illustrations of a principle, right? One is like a mustard seed that grows into a surpassingly large bush calls it a tree in this parable. Have any of you ever planted and raised mustard? City folk. Um, mustard seeds. You've all seen mustard seeds, like in, when you buy like authentic brown mustard. They have little, little tiny seeds. They are, they are quite small. Uh, they're not the smallest seed in the world, but, but they may well be the smallest seed in your garden. They're really tiny. So you plant one seed in the ground, and, and the mystery is that it becomes this big bush. They don't actually become trees. I think Jesus was being a little hyperbolic here. They're, like, there's no mustard tree. But it is like this spreading bush that can get out of control, and they produce a zillion seeds so they can grow like crazy. It gets, you know, like super exponential. And so he was talking to an agricultural crowd, and they would have appreciated the parable. Yeah, a little tiny thing. It's like, and it becomes this plant that can take over your acre if you're not careful. 
like one of those things. If you had a mustard plant in your garden, you had to be careful that it didn't just go crazy. It's like, you know, having a little bamboo in your yard. It's like, well, if you neglect it for a while, it's like, it could take over the yard and bamboo is pretty tough to get out. Um, mustard's a little easier. They didn't have bamboo. I'm digressing. Um, but you get the point, right? And then he talks about yeast or leaven, and it is called in the old-fashioned um, uh, translations. But have you ever worked, anybody ever baked bread? Okay, we got a few of those, got a few of those. And you put, you, uh, you mix some flour uh, with water, get some dough, and then you put in a little bit of yeast. How much yeast do you put in a, a loaf of bread? Well, it's just, it's just a pinch, right? It's just, it's just a little bit. And here he's talking about 60 pounds of flour. So this would be like a huge, you'd be like baking for, I don't know, a wedding or something. It was a huge, huge amount. And you just put in a little bit of yeast, but then you knead it in, right? And then what happens to the yeast is that, you know, it, it feeds and it multiplies and it causes the entire loaf to rise. This little tiny thing causes this tremendous effect eventually, you know, once you let it sit for a while and, and do its thing. I think strictly speaking, what Jesus was talking about here was how the start of the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is what he was doing at this moment when he walked the earth, he was starting this thing that would eventually, well, it would eventually spread around the globe, wouldn't it? But right now he's in uh, a backwoods neighborhood in a backwoods country in, in Palestine, you know, and he's talking to, well, the, the working class people of, of his day. He's not talking to impressive people. He's not in an impressive setting, but he's talking about the kingdom of, well, heaven, and it doesn't get grander than heaven. And so he's kind of saying, look, guys, believe it or not, you right here will eventually influence the entire, the entire world. I was about to say globe. They didn't even know it was a globe then, but, you know, like the whole everything, you know, and he had so many of these teachings. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. You, you unimpressive people, you know, just look, look, look at the unimpressive person next to you and say, yeah, you, go ahead. Yeah, believe it or not. And, and so I think it's, the, it's in the line of, of the many teachings that Jesus would give like this. Like, yeah, you look small, you look unimpressive, you look super, super limited, but, you know, consider yeast, just a little bit of it in like a huge truckload of dough. And eventually it will cause the entire thing to, to change. It will, it will cause the entire um, batch uh, to rise. Or, or like the mustard seed. It's like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretty small. You're fairly insignificant. And, uh, but, you know you can spread to take over the entire garden and entire countryside. Um, there are, you know, hillsides that I know of in, in rural uh, Northern California, Southern Oregon, where I grew up, that would just be taken over by wild mustard sometimes. And so he's speaking faith to them. He's saying that small people can have big results or small beginnings can have huge endings. Or I think, you know, Small little gestures, small little victories, small little events can eventually lead to revolutionary outcomes. Um, and like I say, a pretty typical kingdom teaching. Uh, 
uh, a pretty typical biblical teaching. Do not despise the day of small beginnings, uh, the Lord told his prophet to say to the temple builders. Um, David's slingshot, right? It's like, you know, I can't amass armies, but I can throw rocks really well, and, you know, I want to fight the battle. Little gestures have big legendary results. I don't know, the loaves and the fishes, the widow's mites. Like every time you turn around, Jesus is talking about something like this. But here, the point that he makes really explicit, the point that I like is the kingdom grows, right? It grows. If everything goes well, the little pinch of yeast in your life, the little gesture, the little moment given an environment of faith, just a little bit of faith, it will grow. You can't judge it in the first moment. Um, this is how the kingdom of heaven tends to work on earth. He begins the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. What's it like? It's like little things that grow big. That's, that's how he characterizes it for us. There's a certain character of faith here which I really like. If the kingdom of heaven on earth um, merely lurched from one giant impressive event to the next giant impressive uh, event, well, among other things, it would require less faith, wouldn't it? It would require less, less trust. Like if every moment of your life was a miracle, well, any moron could follow Jesus on earth at that point. I'm not saying that you aren't morons, but any moron could follow Jesus, right? Because it would just be no faith required, right? But we've talked many times how the point of, of this life is to grow, to trust God, to trust that he's good, which is what Adam and Eve didn't do in the Garden of Eden. They trusted that God existed. They did not trust that he was good. So we're trying to develop trust in the goodness of God. And, and I appreciate how the system works. It's like, well, you know, if you're looking to develop trust in life, well, then what you want is a kingdom that kind of grows from little things to big things. You have to have enough trust, enough faith to, to do the little things and not just to rest on the giant miracles uh, in, in your life. Um, it also requires some humility, which is another great personal virtue. It makes sense that the kingdom of Christ would tend to start in small ways, in people because sort of the personality of Christ was humble and small, unassuming, and world-changing. And those two things together, I think, summarize the kingdom of God nicely. God is not a grandstander, is he? He's not a show-off. Oh, he's the creator of the universe, sure, but he's not a show-off. That would speak ill of him. He's humble. Uh, he's all about trust. He's all about very personal trust. And that all speaks to small things. The yeast comparison uh, tends to make me think of the kingdom as a contaminant of sorts, as a pollutant. Because that's kind of what yeast is. Yeast, you put yeast in a dough and it feeds. Right? It feeds and it comes to contaminate, quote unquote, the entire batch of, of bread. And and sometimes kingdom people go through life afraid of being polluted by the world. I think the world should be afraid of being polluted by kingdom people, right? Because we spread 
insidiously, you know, we're sneaky. We do all of these little things that pass under the radar and then all of a sudden we have, we've influenced the, the entire community. You know, it's like we're this little seed that you could step on and not notice, but all of a sudden we've taken root and we're in that corner and we're in this corner and we're along the fence line and, and we're starting to choke out the weeds. You know, we are the pollutant. We are the contaminant. Put a little salt in the stew. You can't take it back out again. It's like it flavors everything. That's us, right? We're little, but we just kind of get there, you know? And that, I think, is a nice way to summarize the effect of the kingdom as well. And it's probably a nice way to, uh, to summarize the effect of the kingdom in your life. Do you want to be a Sunday Christian? Do you just want to be a Sunday Christian? One day a week where you're a Christian, do you want to be a Sunday Christian? Well, it's better than nothing, people, and I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. If you're a Sunday Christian, I mean, if, if you're a Sunday Christian with faith, pretty soon your Mondays are going to fall. Pretty soon you're going to be a Sunday Monday Christian, right? And then Tuesday's not looking so secure, right? There's nothing wrong with starting small. You know, just to put a little faith in it, it will spread. You decide to have faith at home in your marriage and your family and kind of act like a person of faith there. I mean, if you do that with a little bit of faith, pretty soon you're going to be acting like a person of faith in your workplace. Pretty soon you're going to be acting like a person of faith as you walk up and down your neighborhood street, wherever that might be. That's how it works. Have you experienced this? Right? You have a tentative first step, and all of a sudden you're like, how did my life become this exactly? I mean, it's a kingdom sort of life. I know some of you have had that experience. Like, if you, little thing, apply a little faith fertilizer, that is how it tends to work in the kingdom of God. Uh, and I like that. I like that a lot. You know, so, I don't know, be a Sunday Christian. Just be a good one. And pretty soon you'll be a Monday Christian too. The kingdom is a more powerful contaminant than the world. Just needs a little faith to feed on, that's all. Just need a little faith to feed on. Um, and even when I was a kid, I would love stories that, that showed people who are faithful to do little things, eventually having big results. One of my favorite stories when I was, when I was a kid oh, was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the book of uh, Daniel, you know these, this story. Three friends, they were taken into exile uh, into Babylon, <clears throat> and they were, uh, they were gifted students. Uh, they were taken into sort of the king's uh, household, into his bureaucracy, and everyone who worked in the bureaucracy got to eat from the king's table. The problem was at the king's table, they ate meat that was sacrificed to idols, and these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, didn't want to, it's like, well... That's, that's where we draw the line. Like, we're living in this exile land, and, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that, so we're not going to eat meat. Heroes to vegetarians worldwide ever since, you know. Uh, and, and I remember reading that story and just, like, being impressed. It's like, well, that was a little thing that they decided to, to make important. And eventually, you know, the story goes, they refused to bow down uh, to the statue uh, Nebuchadnezzar, they got thrown into the fire. You know this story. It's like, well, that was a bigger thing. 
Um, but it worked out for them, you know. The angel of the Lord came and freed them from the fire. Daniel, uh, their comrade uh, in this exile bureaucracy, another young kid that was taken into the king's household and, and made to serve foreign kings for the rest of his life. Um, <clears throat> the narrative tells us that he would pray three times a day. That, that was his small thing. And I imagine how this went through his head. It's like, I'm living in a foreign land. I'm serving a foreign king. Uh, I'm never going to have a family because to be part of the king's bureaucracy, they would have castrated him. You know, it was sort of a dismal existence. And he's like, but I'm God's man. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray three times a day. I'm going to pray that Israel gets to return to Jerusalem. I'm going to pray for the blessing of the city, of the city where I'm living right now. So he would just pray three times a day. And eventually that led to accusations that got him thrown into the lion's den. You remember that story? It's a cool book. I should read it sometime. Have you done a Daniel series recently? Just do Daniel. Cool book. And you know, the Lord shuts the mouths of the lions and he escapes and he becomes an even more famous official until pretty soon he's like the second ranking dude in, in the whole kingdom. These are stories of little gestures that led to epic stories. Um, they were people of little gestures. And heroes are often portrayed that way in Scripture. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The kingdom does not have to be big and grand in your life to make you a powerful person, a person of overcoming, a person of tremendous community influence. You can be a person like that by having the kingdom be small and potent instead of grand and impressive provided that you have enough faith you know provided that you have faith for the little things that you do if you only have faith to do big things well you're probably not going to last but if you have enough faith to do a few small things you'll probably grow In the decades that I've been walking with the Lord and administering uh, the kingdom now, I've got just, gosh, dozens, dozens, dozens of stories of people that would start sweep into the community, community of faith, grandly. I remember the, the first guy um, I had experience like this with was a, a fellow named Reese. Um, and I was, how old was I? I was like maybe 22 years old. I was uh, ministering in, on the San Francisco Peninsula. I was living in a really violent neighborhood in a community house with a couple friends. We had just moved into a, uh, a neighborhood that had just been burnt out by crack cocaine, and it was hugely violent and automatic gunfire on the street every night. And uh, I was having a blast living there. I was living in, in community, inviting people off the streets to live with us, and and uh, so we became, although, you know, we were just a bunch of recent college grads, we became kind of well-known. And this guy showed up at the church who was attracted to us. His name was Reese. And he showed up. Nobody knew anything about him. But uh, in like the first week, he sold everything he had, which, which wasn't much. And he asked if uh, he could uh, live in this bunkhouse that we had kind of built in our garage. And uh, he just wanted to minister uh, full-time. Um, and, uh, and I didn't, I didn't trust him. And I remember asking a very uncharacteristic question of him. I said, well, how are you going to eat? You, you know, you're, you're not, 
working and you just sold everything you had and gave away all of your money. It's like, well, I don't know. Um, I'll eat at your house. It's like, oh, so you're going to rely on me to eat. You know? And I was working this part-time job and kind of living on a shoestring and trying to keep body and soul together. It's like, well, you know, how, how, how are you going to minister? Like, what, what, what's your story? It's like, well, I'm selling everything out for God, and I think everyone else should as well. And it's like, this doesn't feel right to me. I mean, you're like doing the right big gestures, but I think, I think this is trouble. And, of course, it turned out that his life was really a mess, and he felt like he needed to change, and the way he did that was grandly. And that just doesn't last as well as lives that are built brick by brick. You know what I mean? Some people just need to learn how to work a job, <laughs> nine to five. Some people need to know how to build relationships and community, you know, to, to bring along the next person instead of revolutionizing the city. And once you do the small things, well, then God will give you more or bigger things to do. That's another kingdom teaching. I think that's a word of the Lord for some of us this morning. It's like, well, what's the next little thing that you have to do? You want to change your life? Well, do it 5% at a time with faith. You know, build the right way, uh, and it will last. Um, I would much rather have a community of doorkeepers than a community of revival preachers. You know, I would rather much... I'd much rather have a community of people that are going to invite two folks to the Christmas concert um, than people are going to, um, well, perform miracles in the streets, to be frank with you. Um, because miracles in the streets will produce followers, but it won't produce community in a way to make things last. Now, of course, I'm all about miracles in the streets as well. Do that but take your small group with you, <laughs> right? Take your co-disciples with you, and, and then, you can, then you can multiply. Are you, are you feeling it? Are you getting the point? And I just wondered if that was a word that you needed to hear this morning because I feel like the Lord made me, uh, made me preach it. Like, what's, what's the next small thing for you? What would be some examples of little kingdom things that you might do in your life? Little things. I think the resistance might be when you think of some little thing to do, oh, that won't lead anywhere. That won't do any good. That's not enough to get me where I want to go. That's not enough to produce what I want to produce. All right, that's the crux of the issue right there. Because what Jesus teaches is, oh, yes, it will grow, provided that you fertilize it with a little faith. Do you have enough faith to believe that a little thing can become a big thing? That's the challenge. So what's a little thing uh, that you might do? One or two. Don't clutter your life with bunches of little things. Maybe like me, you'll be defeated by the details. Oh, I hate that. But, you know, maybe there's one. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's just a gesture that you need to follow through on this week. Um... I'm going to be inviting people to the Christmas concert. I'm going to invite four because two's not enough for me. I've got four in my head. Um, but two, as 
Antonio said, would sell out the concert if everybody invited to. It's a great outreach event. Do you have a rude coworker at work that you need to encourage? One encouraging word that you need to speak? One small thing that you need to change in your life in a kingdom way? What is it? I'll just give you a few seconds to meditate on it. Let's end as we began with a little inventory. How many of you have enough strength to do a little thing? How many of you have enough skill to do a little thing? How many of you have enough faith to do a little thing? There you go. Welcome to the kingdom of God then. Because the kingdom of God tends to start small and to grow big. Um, if you have enough faith to do the next little thing. So Father, um, whatever the little things are in our life, uh, we pledge them to you, Lord, and we pray that you would do the mysterious stuff that you do to cause the seeds to sprout or the yeast to multiply, uh, the pinch of salt to flavor. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would just uh, let it shine no matter how dim we think our light might be. And I pray, Lord, that is the way of things in the kingdom that the small would grow to have big results. I pray, Lord, for revolution in our lives, 5% at a time. I pray for revolution in our community, um, bit by bit by bit. I pray, Lord, that the kingdom of God would be inexorable, would be unstoppable in our lives, uh, though it might start with small moments. We pray that it would lead to a greater number of small moments. In Jesus' name, we dedicate this to you, Lord. Amen.